convincing. Isn't it? So, so Gary, we're still on suit to number 12 in the uh, Lions War. Go ahead. Hang on, sorry. I'm, I'm not Gary as in Indiana. I'm Jerry as in gerrymandering. Okay, Jerry. Jerry, right. that's worth, because I mean, if I can change my name if I want to, presumably. Okay, well, the, G, <coughs> the, the G I'm using as a guttural G rather than the J, that Jerry is normally spelled like uh, Tom and Jerry, they don't spell it with a G. But they do in gerrymandering, so there you are. <laughs> anyway, never mind. Never mind. Here we are. You were talking, you were telling me about the the manifold past lives in the no. same. Okay, you were talking about it as manifold past lives. The word manifold, by the way, is not in the poly. No. Well, yeah, just many. Well, manifold sounds I... magical. Many is just an ordinary word. Okay, manifold is is sort of the yeah they're they're using biblical babble there that sort of thing but yes that's what I'm pointing at is is that the original translators used magical Christian language to do their translations because that's what they understood they didn't talk to any Thai monks or any Sri they did all of this mostly in Sri Lanka and they didn't even bother to consult the monks who knew the Pali better than they did. And so they wind up with a completely Christianized version of Buddhism, which is Western Buddhism. It's highly Christianized with but, a lot of magical Bible babble. <laughs> but it seems that it seems that it's not just the stuff that came into the uh, into the into the Tripitaka um, <coughs> from Ceylon um, or Sri Lanka, but. It all seems to be the same in Indian and Chinese Buddhism. It, they all seem to have accepted pretty much that um, you you go you from got, life. You to got life. it backwards. You got it backwards. Okay. He said instead of them pretty much accepting through Buddhism the beliefs in rebirth and reincarnation, mm -hmm. the right way to say it is is that everybody is born and part of our uh, raising is being raised in a magical environment. So the belief in rebirth and reincarnation is what people have when they come to the teaching of the Buddha. An example of magical uh, thinking that children do, we call it play sometimes. Mm -hmm. But here there is this little kid with this little toy truck rolling it back and forth saying zoom, 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 zoom. He's in a magical thought pattern, thinking that he's actually driving the truck, and it's a big truck. Little girls play with dolls, and they have the magical belief that the doll is real. They even give them names, mm -hmm. and then they'll pull the arms off to change their dress. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, or sometimes pull the head off to get their dress changed. So we start off in magical thinking. The Chinese did it. They're into ancestor worship. Uh, Chinese religions have, are, are all very magical, just like Tibet, absolutely chock-a-block full of magical beliefs. 
Thailand also in the old days, and in fact there is still remnants of the old Thai religion. It never really had a name, but the um, um, let us say the researchers call it animism, mm-hmm. just like Hinduism is actually an animism. But Thai religion is even more of an animism in the sense that they will put uh, uh, monks' robes around a big tree, mm-hmm. especially if it's a big tree on the top of a hill or maybe it's an important tree or something. And then in the 70s, when they had a whole lot of deforestation going on, the monks would go and take their old robes and wrap them around big trees to keep them from being cut down. Now, that's magical thinking. But the monks used that magical thinking against the loggers because the loggers were the ones who were thinking magical. The monks were using their robes to keep the trees from being uh, felled. So... That's the point now to start off with is is that everyone comes into the teaching of the Buddha with magical beliefs. Some people have more than others, and most of us have a ton of magical beliefs. And the whole process then is us coming out of our magical beliefs into reality. That's what the real teachings of the Buddha is all about. And in some cases, we use magical language when we're talking about ordinary things, that that happened a lot in the time of the Buddha, that they would use magical language to talk about ordinary things. And we've already discussed the word deva. Under no conditions in the ordinary world is a deva considered um, a god. They used it in the time of the Buddha as an honorific. They used it in the Middle Ages as an honorific. We use it nowadays as an honorific. We call celebrities, kings, uh, nobles will be called a deva. But we don't call them gods. We know the difference. Even though the Pharaoh wants to be a god, we know the difference between a a made-up god that was paid for by Pharaoh versus an actual God, which we don't find. We can find pharaohs and mummies, but we can't find real devas, real gods. They're out of our perspective. Okay, so now let's go back and revisit the most important is the very first. I've tried to make a point of it in uh, in the video that we did, and that is the very first of those 10 items that the that the Tathagatha claims. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Right. Is is what, is what is possible is possible, and what is impossible is in fact impossible. And yet most people are born and raised with impossible thinking. Here's an example of magical impossible thinking. Is is that I need help with my homework. I can't do it on my own. Okay, that's that's a concept of magical thinking and that if we take it off with the homework and start putting it into uh, that's the that magical thinking, by the way, is the source of psychology. You see, Mm -hmm. Freud himself was an armchair empirist. He was interested in causality. He was interested in um, classifications and things like that. 
and Freud himself was not interested in a cure. was not interested in the cure. He was taking things totally scientifically. But many, many psychologists now are psychologists because of the clients who come in with the magical thinking. Oh, if I go and pay $500 an hour, it will do me good. If I pay $500 an hour, then it's up to the psychologist to fix me. That's why psychology doesn't work. It's because people rely upon the psychologist. And it's impossible for a psychologist to fix somebody, but it is possible for them to fix up their own mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we have the point is, is that everybody comes, starts off in the Dhamma with magical thinking and slowly, carefully, over time, we come out of the magical thinking into reality. And so the reality then is ain't nobody going to help you That's what the second noble truth is pointing out, that all of our dissatisfactions and suffering come from within, not from without. And so they can. And so the next then issue that we have to deal with is, well, if I can't get someone else to fix me, then how do I get fixed? The answer is that is, is that I'm going to have to fix myself. Am I up to it? Can you, in fact, Fix your own mind. That's an important point. That's what, uh, in fact, uh, in the Eightfold Noble Path, the Sama Sankapa is really all about, is that we gain the confidence that we can, in fact, change our own mind. So that's an important ground place for us to start with. Is, is that everybody comes to the Dhamma. They, in fact, they go everywhere with their magical beliefs and they bring it with them when they come to the Dhamma. That's why there's so much magical thinking and magical speaking. And, and that's especially true when the people who were doing the translations don't recognize the distinction between their own magical thinking and reality. If they were really in the, into the Dhamma, then they would translate things completely differently. Ooh. They also have a mistake that they make, and that is the mistake is, is that I've got to make sure that every word is correct. And so they translate it word by word by word, sometimes rearranging the sentence and trying to fit it together. Then, in fact, that's not the way to translate. The way to translate is to find out exactly what's being said in a general uh, sentence kind of form and then say that in the new language so that we get results that are understandable rather than an excellent translation. Yes, but then you depart from the you depart from the original when you do that, don't you? Well, it depends upon whose idea is the departure. The actuality is, is that they by trying to get it word by word correct, they're the ones who have departed. To get it back to what the actual Buddha's meaning was, is to go for the meaning of what he's saying and stop playing with the words so much that we get really bound up with the words instead of the actual uh, teaching that's going on. But if you don't start with the text, who's going to decide what the meaning is? Well, this is why you need a noble friend, because you can't figure it out for yourself. 
the Buddha figured it out finally. There have been others who have figured it out. That in fact, you could go so far as to say Jesus figured it out and he had a whole lot of good stuff to teach people and nobody understood what he was saying. Okay, like the kingdom of God is within you. Suffer the little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom of God. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. These are the teachings of Jesus. And now they've turned him into a magical creature that are going to come back with a sword and hurt people. Well, uh, <clears throat> the trouble, of course, with the kingdom of God is within you, is that people get to get to a get to a jhana and they think they've got the kingdom of God and they think well, that's they do. It. Absolutely. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. And um, well, is it? Well, can you remain there? Or are you going to go back to hell? No, I can't remain there, but I can go back there when I want to. Uh, um, if that were true, you would have never called me. Well, that is that that is perhaps the point. It is going back there when you want to rather than the sort of automatic you have to you have to think about it you have to Absolutely. you have to um you have to set yourself to do it you have to go through in fact um well i that's what Sati is all about that's the definition of Sati right there you have to remember because the old magical habits and mm. the old magical beliefs will come back and invade They'll invade but the I mean, mind and sometimes stay. Yeah, but I mean, I mean I'm going to go, yeah, yeah, but all the time, as you know. Um, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> I've also been listening to your, 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 you on, uh, on how to practice when sick, because I'm actually, I'm actually COVID positive at the moment. But um, anyway, um, Yes, there is perhaps, or I can perhaps keep in the top of my mind um, the idea that I can put myself into a happy state. I can, I can put myself into the state that you, well, the first jhana. Uh, well, let me see you, you do it now. Let me see you do it now. <laughs> I'm not performing for you. I'm just I'm performing. If I'm doing this, I'm performing for all your all your all your viewers. No, I'm pointing out that you don't have the ability to do it anytime you wanted to. Precisely, uh, but I have to think about. I have to get there from the knowledge that I can do it to actually right. doing it, mm -hmm. and we need to practice that. Just like the ch little child who has been signed up for piano lessons and he goes to practice the piano the first time, maybe yeah. before he does his first lesson. All right. And when the child gets the idea that this is one of the good reasons why an older kid will teach the younger kid chopsticks, because mm -hmm. it's an easy place piece to learn and it can get all fancied and everything, but it's still basic, very basic. And the child loves to play the chopsticks. 
he will then learn to play the piano because he loves doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's where we're going from this is, is that when you start loving the present moment, when you start liking it, jhana is possible. When you have to talk yourself into it, it's hard work. That's where most people have to start. But pretty soon you get the skill. You get the right attitude. In fact, it's not necessary. It is a skill, but it all is having the right attitude. Okay, but and that has to be developed. Yes, all right, all right. But you see, what do you do? I mean, you're talk- you were you were talking. I've I've heard you on other um, of your, um, your 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 recordings talking about practicing when sick or practicing when in pain. Now, this requires, in as 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 far as I can see it, um, you know, not just uh, and well. You can't really enjoy the moment when you're in pain. You can't really enjoy pain. You this can, is why we start in comfort, not in pain. Precisely. Because you can relax. to get away. Exactly. You can relax into it. When you're in pain, that's not a good time to practice. I thought... I thought you said it was. I thought it was pain and sickness. Well, you're missing the point, and that is, is that when someone is skilled in controlling uh, their mind, then when the pain comes, when the body is sick, that's an excellent opportunity to practice the skills that you've already learned. Mm-hmm. But most people who have no skills, when the pain comes, you can't teach them to meditate their way out of a wet paper bag or a bad pain or anything like that. They don't have the skills yet. This is why we practice in seclusion. We Mm -hmm. practice making it as easy as possible. We walk into the gym of the mind and only pick up a one kilogram dumbbell. And we keep pumping and pumping and pumping and pumping. We're not ready for 20-pound dumbbells. Can't do it. Let's do a one-pound dumbbell. So we can think of the 20-pound dumbbell as pain. Because if you don't have any skills at, at pumping iron, you get a 20-pound dumbbell, that's going to be pain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start with where we are and do what we can do. Do the lifting that we can do. So we do it in seclusion, so we make it easy. Mm-hmm. Then when we go back into the world and we find real problems, we've now got the skills to deal with it. The same thing is true about metta and friendship. We have to learn to practice being friends with ourselves when it's easy to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we get good skills at being friends with ourselves, then we can go out and be easy friends with anybody. It doesn't matter whether they agree with us or not. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. Can do that, but, certainly. but it's hard to make friends with someone who you hate, and generally, there's a whole lot of self hatred out there. Well, you have, according to just about everybody, to, to, to love yourself or 
have a high regard for yourself or whatever before you can for anybody else. So, uh, you know, you, you, you would, I suppose, go along with that. You have to have meta for yourself before you start practicing it for anybody else. And so when we can practice happiness, joy, friendship on the inside, and then we take it and we practice to have friendship and joy with other people on the outside, and now the whole Dhamma is there. The whole Dhamma is friendship. Mm -hmm. Friendship mm -hmm. on the inside and friendship on the outside, and whether rebirth exists or not is irrelevant. Well, certainly, certainly that is something that came to me. Um, it came to me when I was thinking about all these uh, these various arguments that I'm putting up. Really, you know, this is this is this all this is this all doesn't really matter so long as one can make oneself happy. Uh, and uh, if you can do that, you're you're ahead of the game. Just putting it a bit simplistically, but there it is. Well, rebirth and reincarnation—the guys who invented the stuff, the rebirth part did so in order to control people. Well, of course, that's and what the whole religion thing is for. We know that. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So why don't you we teach them things that are impossible that they can't do because they're impossible and then tell them, oh, but we can. So you have to come suck up to us and give us money so that we but can do the ceremonies and you be and you can feel better. But then they are going to tell you that these things are possible, and they, they do them. Who are you talking about now? Well, well, now let, let us see. For instance, I listen to various, various people's podcasts. Um, typically, well, particularly uh, the man whom you know, um, Guru Viking, who gets some very good people on, but who also gets some real off-the-wall weirdos. As far as I can see, <coughs> there is another one who calls himself Buddha at the gas pump. He's an ex-TM man. And some of the people I have heard on that, oh dear, they, you know, you, know you, you think, well, no, these people have got their heads. Well, I won't say where they have their heads, but it's not in reality. <laughs> we, don't, don't, we don't know where their head is, but we know what's in their head, and that is a lot of magical thinking. Indeed, indeed. But I mean, you know, they, they, they're all very keen on, they're all very keen on the sort of universal consciousness. Me uh, too. The, the, hmm? Me too. You too. Yes. So, the tree is conscious. It knows how to put leaves out so that they can reach the sun. It knows not to put too much work into the tree, uh, part of the tree that's under the eave of the house, because those limbs and leaves get no sun at all. So the, the light switch, it knows when it's been thrown from off to on, and so does the light bulb. Okay, consciousness is everywhere. In fact, consciousness is, in fact, cause and effect. Idiopapajayata, and everything in that regard is conscious. This chair will rise just a little bit when my butt gets off of it. Mm-hmm, sure. Okay, 
So exactly. You call that consciousness? So, so well, why not? Those guys are. They think that everything is conscious. I'm just pointing out how it actually is conscious. Hmm. Okay, they're just doing it magically, and I'm seeing the possibility. That, in fact, the atmosphere, the atmos, or the atom, mm-hmm. where it, it comes from, you, you've heard the name uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Yeah. And you know that his first names means great soul. Yeah. Mahata. Sure. That's the same word that comes from us in the Greek, atmos, that we have atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Okay, the circle of air that surrounds the earth, we call the sphere because we know that the earth is a sphere, but they just referred to it as the atmos. And the question is, is the atmos, is it conscious? Is it alive? I mean, look, the wind blows, the wind rains, clouds form, they move around. I mean, the, the, the atmosphere is, in fact, alive. Well, that's how Not you to get mention all the, Pardon? That's how you get animism. That's uh, how you get animism with the idea of somebody blowing up there. Yes. No, I didn't say that someone was blowing up there. That's what the Buddha says. There's no one up there blowing, but there is the blowing. There is the wind because it's conscious itself. It doesn't need a God that's up there stirring the pot. Oh, so you're, you're sort of, you're also, you're getting into you, this Advaita Vedanta stuff, the Brahman and the Atman and the Atman and the Brahman and uh, the, I don't know if they're the same thing. I mean, I haven't looked into that, but. Um, but the way that I'm using those terms is to help you understand that there's reality in there. And that we don't have to go through the magical belief systems about it. That, that in fact, all of that is observational, but the delusion is when we make it um, a self or a soul or an atta. This is why the Buddha teaches anatta, is because of the fixed idea of a fixed soul doesn't exist. What exists is the thought, I am. And so the walker exists, excuse me, the walking exists, there is walking, but there is no need for a walker in order for walking to exist. There is thought without a thinker. Well, you need a body to walk with. Right. But the body is not you. And that's a basic mistake that's made in our society a lot, that I am the body. I mean, the cosmetic industry is big time because so many women make the mistake that I am the body. And if the body is beautiful, I am beautiful. And if the body is old and ugly, I am old and ugly. That's the, that, that's the kind of magical thinking that children start off with. And Max Factor makes a ton of money sure, off of that delusion. 
but you still want, need one of those to think I am with. You need uh, the body and the brain and all the rest of it. Right. Know? We that's the satipatthana. We think need the body, I am, the I mean, how are you? How are you going to think I am? How are you going to think I am when your body has 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 rotted? <laughs> you can't. Well, we start off in magical thinking, which gives us quite a lot, but it also gives us a lot of dissatisfactions. Mm. Wisdom says, let's come out of the magical thinking about I, me's, and minds. Here's an example of that. Is, is that let us call in a meditation master who has done videos on YouTube and some of the comments are, you don't know nothing. Mm-hmm. You're teaching a big pack of lies. This is all magical thinking that you're teaching, right? And then this uh, big powerful guru reads that and he feels bad. Why? Because he thinks that those comments were written about him. And they were not. They were written about a video that someone saw. And they made the mistake that what the video is, is him. And so now two people are confused. But the right kind of thinking of, oh, that's just a comment, but it's not me. The guy doesn't even know me. So if we say, oh, he's he's uh, complaining about me, he's criticizing me, then we feel bad. But if we think, oh, it's not me that he's criticizing, he's just out criticizing. He's criticizing because his mind is full of criticism. Mm. But he's not criticizing me. He's criticizing things and ideas in his own mind. It's not me. And so I don't have to stand up and become a target. I can let that one slide right by. He didn't talk to he was not talking about me. He's talking about whatever he wanted to talk about in his own mind. Why should I take his criticism and say, oh, it's me he's criticizing? Yes. When in fact, there's no me here. The the guy who did the video is not the same guy who reads the comments. That is... That is very, very difficult to understand. Because there is so much obvious memory going on from the time when. Yes, and it's just memory. It's not my memory. It's not your memory. It's just memory. Well, not only that, but it's not very accurate. Sure, yeah, it's not very accurate, but it's the only one he's got. I mean, <laughs> no, we've got short pencils and long papers. I had a fifth grade teacher, by the way, who kept making a point of it that a short pencil is better than a long memory. And yeah. computers have pulled, proved that big time. Yeah, sure, okay? sure, sure. Do you, do you have any movies or any videos on your computer? Sure, I have, of course. Oh, of course. All right. Well, so, when the, so, the, so the computer knows the entire movie. Indeed. Frame by frame, it knows every word that was spoken. And you can play that movie back completely on the computer. 
Mm-hmm. And you've probably seen that movie yourself two, three, four times, and yet you, with your memory, cannot reproduce that movie. I can't even get the words right if I try to quote one of, what of the char- one, one of the characters said. Fair enough. Yes, exactly. So why would you rely upon your mo- your memory, as well as making the second mistake and saying that it's mine? Well. A, because it's the only one I've got, and B, right. because there's and nobody B, else related okay. to Well, you think that it's the only one that you've got. In fact, Compton's encyclopedia is sitting there on the shelf, so it's not just yours. It's okay. the sum total of human knowledge. Your memories are, in fact, not often yours at all. That the things that we think were things that we learned from someone else. Of course. Right, and so it's their memories that we're reproducing, not our own. Well, when I quote that, Shakespeare, I'm just quoting. That's not what I'm. That's not immediately what I'm talking about. Immediately, what I'm talking about is the fallibility of my memory of what, um, for instance, um, Lauren Bacall said to Humphrey Bogart um, in <clears throat> "To Have and to Have Not" about. Uh, Put your no, something like that. I can't remember that exactly. So fair enough. But um, mm-hmm. how do we get into all this? This. I mean, that, that's that, that, that little not, boy, that three-year-old sitting on the floor with that truck, going zoom, 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 is making the mistake of I am driving this car. So he's made two big mistakes. One is, is that this is a real car and it's being driven. And number two, I am driving it. Where in fact, no, it's just a little toy truck going back and forth with the sound of zoom, zoom, zoom. That's the reality of the situation. But we put ourselves in that position. We think I am. And everybody in our society agrees with that. So it's a mass delusion. Now, here's the point. That's almost an irrelevant teaching. It's almost irrelevant. Why is it relevant? It's relevant when beliefs in me and mine will interfere with our correct practice so that we can come out of those delusions. Here's the here's the point. Is, is that the word anatta and atta were badly translated. If the, if the Christians had translated it correctly, they would have translated it as soul, but they couldn't stand that. The, the Buddha teaches there is no soul. Now, what is a soul? A soul is something that is so strong that it will survive death. It's everlasting, immutable. These are the words that they talk about, right? And they try to, because modern physics has come in and just laughed like hell at them, they say, oh, and it's also kind of special. It's like the fifth kind of force, mm-hmm. okay? In physics, you know that we have gravity, we have electromagnetic, and we have the nuclear forces, strong and weak. But now that we've got a soul, there's a fifth force in the universe, 
the, the force of the soul. And not only that, but every soul's got to be unique. I mean, what would happen in, at Nagasaki when 100,000 Japanese all died at the same time? What's the poor God or a common machine going to do to sort that mess out if he can't tell the difference <laughs> between big, two? He's a very big common machine. <laughs> Is that big, big, big kind of common machine actually possible? I cannot see it as possible myself, but... Uh, okay, <laughs> then just accept that that's impossible, that that big comma machine that the Brahmins started inventing and now the Christians think is a god but is the, actually impossible. But the whole thing, you see, is that it's based on a lot of people who were much cleverer than me did believe in the big karma machine and who... Uh, who well, maybe they didn't. Maybe, maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't believe in the big common machine, but they found out that they can make a ton of money from people who do believe in the big common machine. Well, mostly it's not so much the money as the power, I suspect, but it's certainly right. the power. Same thing. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That if you can convince people that you're the high priest of this particular God's religion, then you, you're in a good state. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> great we number. Mm -hmm. It is, in fact, uh, um, according to Dhammavitu and some of the research that he's done, this happened at about 800 BC in India, where the Brahmins were being challenged because they owned almost all the land. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, and why did they own the land? Is because if you want a bit buried, if you want them to do your funeral, you got to give them all your land. You can't give it to your kids. You got to give it to the Brahmins in order for them to do the uh, proper ceremonies, perhaps on the, the burning hats on the Ganges River in Varanasi, so that you will have a good future. And so it's based upon selfishness with the belief that there is a soul. And the Brahmins were making a lot of money off of that. And so someone came and says, well, why should we give you the money? Why don't I just do my own ceremony? Or why do I even need a ceremony? And the Brahmins would answer that is, oh, we are special. We mm -hmm. are Brahmins. We sure. were born Brahmin, just like the Levites who ran the, uh, the um, temple in, in Jerusalem. Okay. Sure. That we are born Brahmins. And we were born Brahmins because we were good in the past. And you were not born Brahmin because you were not good enough in the past. If you had been as good as I was in the past, then you would have been a Brahmin too. This mm -hmm. is the story that they told. Okay, and, and, and look how many hundreds of millions, maybe bi billions and billions of people throughout history have been believing that bullshit. Yeah, well, it's a great... <laughs> it's a great... What was it? And, yeah. And it has controlled many civilizations. It has controlled many kings. Mm -hmm. Oh, it yes. It has made some people very, very powerful. And is, um, here's, here's an example of, uh, of this. Um, there are many, many university professors in a particular kind of university called a seminary. And these guys are Bible scholars. Mm -hmm. They know the Bible upside down, backwards, and they know every fault and every detail and every piece of bullshit in it. 
What that means is, is that they are no longer Christians. They are Bible scholars, <clears throat> and they know that the Bible is full of manure. It's a pile of crap. Well, and yet they've got the job of being a university professor teaching the Bible to new uh, lads who want to come and become a preacher. And so the Bible scholars will lie to the kids, teach them only some of the Bible to keep their jobs. If the college professor was out, uh, was uh, um, honest with his kids, he'd lose his job. Now, one of those kids, in fact, did get the right information somewhere along the line from his college professor. And now he's, let us say, 55 years old in the pulpit. Every Sunday morning, he's giving a sermon. And he's already just figured out that Christianity is a pile of crap. And so is her book. Mm -hmm. If he says that on, uh, on the, from the pulpit, he's going to lose his job. He's going to lose his house. He's going to lose his wife. He's going to lose his kids. He's going to lose his car. He's going to lose everything if he's honest. And then he will have to go and rely on the society they have in the USA, as I understand it, for preachers who have found just that. They have, I right. believe, a, 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 yes. a, an organization to help such people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I'm, I'm quite aware of it. I think that the last I heard, there's more than 10,000 preachers who have had to join that organization because they're too afraid to quit their job and walk out on the whole show. Yep. Okay. <laughs> the same thing happens with Buddhists also. In the sense of the magical ceremonies that people want. Come bless my house. Come do my funeral. Come uh, bless this marriage. You know, that kind of stuff. In, in Bangkok, they even have monks bless their car. Mm -hmm. The okay. weirdest one was I had, I have actually been in the bank and seen in the bank four monks blessing a deposit box in the vault. God and mammon together. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> Okay, so the, all of this blessing is done, and the monks may or may not believe in it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that winds up now. There's kind of four kinds of monks in. There is those who believe in all of that ceremony and bullshit and all of that uh, ritual. And then there are those who have figured out that that's all a bunch of crap, but they're making money off of it. And so they stay doing those magical rituals, just like the preacher who won't quit his job. He's just going to stay in that pulpit and uh, profess Christianity when, in fact, he doesn't believe it. Then there is the third kind, and that's the one, the noble, who knows that all of this is crap, but he doesn't want to make trouble. And so he goes along with it to get along. And then the fourth kind of monk, the noble is the one who says, I'm not going to do that stuff anymore because I don't believe in it. And we have all four kinds of monks. In fact, at Watso and Moak, you've got a lot of that fourth kind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Monks that don't want to do any of those ceremonies because they know that they're a bunch of crap. Others will do it because they're making money off of it, whether it's, rich, whether it's true or not. And others just go along uh, because they don't want to make any trouble. It actually has something to do with the age of the monk. As he matures, 
he start in the beginning, he believes all that crap. Mm-hmm. Now he's making money off of it. And now he doesn't care about the money. He's just going along because he don't want to make trouble. And then when he's a really old monk, he's out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have that in every religion. Mm-hmm. But what we don't have uh, in Christianity and, and the other religions is that back door that the Buddha gave us. The back door, the way out of the religion. And the back door opens into reality to where the uh, the door itself is part of the magical structure, the religion itself. And there's a back door within Buddhism. In Christianity, there's no back door. There is no back door. You can't say, oh, I only go with what Jesus teaches. Because Christianity is so much bigger than that. That in fact, if you say that I only go with what Jesus teaches, that's already saying, but I don't believe that Jesus himself is a magical creature with a virgin birth. In fact, I've got a little story about that. I've got some phrases I'll lay on you, okay? And that is a no-sex baby and and a dead man walking. Yeah, I've been there, done that. I've, I've you know, he, he, okay. I was raised Catholic. I've been through all that one. Okay. But, but. All right. Well, why don't you throw out all of their magic? Because, well, but people did that. I mean, you have the Reformation where they threw out a lot of it, but not. No, all. they didn't. They just changed. They just reupholstered it. Well, they did. Yes. Well, that's the point. I mean, you, you, you do get. Um, you do get them, uh, but you do get people trying to be fundamentalist in that way, and um, and all that they get is 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 they set up different kinds of different kinds of you know the all all the different little cults that have, have arisen. They've all got some I- different idea. Exactly. That's why there is so oh. much. Uh, differentiation in Christianity, denominationalism, is because they, unlike reality, which is testable, is scientific, Mm -hmm. all of these various denominations have their own special magical beliefs. And there's no end to the kind of magical beliefs that people can come up with. The truth is small. The lies are huge. But then you see what they do is they say, ah, oh, well, yes, we realize that uh, that so-and-so is impossible, but um, hang on a minute, we don't know everything. What about quantum theory and things like that? Ah, uh-huh, now you're a Republican with your whataboutisms. Yep, that's the one, and they, they, then they get into that. Ah, uh, well, maybe. Well, that's all magical beliefs, and whataboutisms is all about magical belief. Well, what about this that doesn't exist? What about that over there that I haven't seen in 40 years? What about that over there that I'm dreaming up? And the answer to that is be here now and see the reality of the situation rather than dreaming up about what, uh, you know, whataboutisms. But here and now, you can only see what is here and now. And there's, there, there, there may well be, I mean, there, there may well be, as you sit on your pile of leaves, there well may, may be a very large tiger or something coming to eat you that you don't know about. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a whole lot going on with that one. So let's dissect that just as a moment. First off, the monks wear orange robes. Then, in uh, fact, I verified this just last night. 
because they had a big bonfire out in the yard. They were burning actually all of the coconut uh, leaves that had uh, limbs that had fallen down, as well as some other stuff. And it was exactly the same color as the orange robe. The mm-hmm. orange robes are designed to be the color of fire because tigers are not going to attack a fire. They're afraid of fire. Mm-hmm. So, so um, you, you may be poorly dressed. You may dress as a cat and get eaten. If you get dressed in the orange robe of the month, then you look like fire. Okay, so that's one thing. The next point is... is the next point is, is that if there is a tiger in this vicinity or neighborhood, you ought to know that. That's that's well understood data. That there are tigers in the neighborhood nowadays. So be careful. Watch where you're going, etc. The next point would be then that here the tiger is. What am I going to do? Am I going to run? No, because he can chase me. Can I climb a tree? No, he can climb trees. So maybe we just have to deal with the tiger with his big mouth. Can we do that happily? We can be if we've got happiness, but if we say, oh no, I'm afraid of the tiger, then we're going to be very, very unhappy while we're being eaten. Yeah, but you know, especially, especially if you think that that tiger is going to be there in the future and you're going to pay him back for killing you. But you're not going to be happy while the tiger eats you because that is. It depends to... upon your state of mind now, doesn't it? Well, yes, but how does your state of mind overcome your automatic human built in desire to survive? Well, that's where we take practice that in fact i'm actually um now uh i'm already thinking about it and i'll lay it out for you this is actually part of the monk's story or there's a i don't know whether it's a sutta but it's an old story that i heard that when the tiger does catch the monk while he's getting his legs eaten he becomes a soda pine while he's getting his arms eaten he becomes a soda uh, a, a soda gami. Mm-hmm. And when he is about to die, he becomes an arahat. He lets go. He releases. So if your mind is in a good place. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to be eaten. In order to be <laughs> well, no. then wear an orange robe when you go into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to the woods anyway. I mean, this is all. <laughs> yeah, and, and be sure about what uh, woods you go in. There may be tigers. Of course, of course. More than likely, it's going to be a mountain lion rather than a tiger. Um, I'm in Scotland. We don't have any. Sorry. (laughs) Well, there are still snakes and scorpions. There's all sorts of things around here, yes. Mostly, mostly I think it's, I don't know. Well, really, what you're talking about is the fear of death. Of course. Yeah. So we can train our mind so that death has no sting. Jesus talks about that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, to accept what's going to happen. We can do that. We can deal with it. Yeah, so what if the uh, Pontius Pilate is hanging me up? I can pull a Brian. 
Well, you know the uh, life of Brian. Me. I can hang up there on that cross singing. Always look on the bright side of life. Da-dum, da-dum, well, I mean, he couldn't da-dum. have been singing that because his shoulders were dislocated and he was having great difficulty breathing, which is the whole point of crucifixion, isn't it? Ah, but he did have the ability to say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Here I go. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he had some rest. He had some peace. Mm-hmm. No, but well, but but according to the Catholics, there's the seven last words of Christ. I mean, they've even done a um a, a show about it or an opera or something like that. The point, though, is in there is is that those seven last words are spread across several different gospels. That every gospel has their own version. Oh yeah, sure. I know. I know. Yep. Sure. Sure. But the point is, is that can you actually come to the point? of being okay that you're going to die. You're getting to be an old man. So why don't you start planning on it? That old age, sickness, and death are actually going to be coming. Just like the tiger is going to be coming. Got to be ready for it. The old age is already here. The sickness is inevitable. The lack of power is inevitable. It's not so much death. It's like the Woody Allen said, I don't want to be around when it happens or something. Um, death, you know, that that's fine. Anatta, fine. No soul, nothing there. Bang, goodbye. What happens on the way when you, you know, you're, you, 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 you can do nothing for yourself. You're in this sort of state of complete, complete decrepitude and... Um, uh, well, that's what the ordinary mind does. If the mind is noble, you got different mind states. When mm. the mind is an ordinary mind, it's afraid of death and don't like pain, and we're already in a state of suffering our whole lives, and so we just suffer big time mm-hmm. when we could be having a ball. Hey, death, I've been waiting on you for 75 years, 80 years now. Where you been? Boy, I'm, I'm looking for you. Come get me. Was all Hold kinds. my beer. <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of stories of that one. Uh, yes, I was. I was. Right, so get. So the thing to do then is to get ready for death. To think about it. Figure out how you want to die. Figure out how you're going to handle the the pain if you're being tortured. Can you laugh how with laughter with the um, uh, the torturers and say, is that the best you can do? Do it again, do it again, harder, harder. Come on, dudes. This is this is fantasy. Well, it's, I'm, I'm trying this to point fun. out that you have the choice of what attitude you're going to have in tough situations, if you're practiced correctly. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't see how your practice can ever get to the stage of um, that. I don't see how it can ever get to that stage. I mean, it happens on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And in fact, people can get so sick, and they don't see any way out. There's no way to reverse the aging. There's no way to reverse the pain that the body is falling apart. 
maybe now's the time to go. Why should I hang on and cling for one more day, one more year, yeah. one more book? I'm well, ready to go. People okay. turn their faces to the wall in that circumstance. One, yeah. People often also choose when they're going to die. One of the favorites is, is on Monday. A lot of people die on Mondays. You mm-hmm. know why? Because their family was in the hospital visiting them on Sunday. Yeah. But instead of the family recognizing, oh, Granny, she's gone, and telling her so, goodbye, Granny, you're going, you're not going to last. Instead, they say, oh, I'm praying for you, Granny. Oh, you're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's in a state of denial. And then after everybody leaves, Granny's dead meat. Mm-hmm. And everybody feels bad because they didn't say goodbye to Granny. And she was waiting for that meeting so that she could say everybody, and then she's going to die. There's actually a couple of really, really famous dudes. This is actual story. I don't remember who it was. I think it was Hamilton. Um, but um, the other one was um, Thomas Jefferson. And Thomas Jefferson had a favorite enemy. And I think it was Hamilton, but I'm not sure. Okay, they both signed the Declaration of Independence in in, uh, July the 4th, 1776. And then exactly 50 years later, in 1826, they both died on the same day. Mm -hmm. Okay, is that coincident or was that planned? Well, it depends if they blew the bridge out at the same time. Well, you, you don't have to use a gun. You can just let go if you're in advanced age. Yeah, I suppose just so. Let it go. I suppose so. Right. So many people, in fact, you could go so far as to say everybody's got a choice. And sometimes they, uh, the, let us call it fate or reality, uh, uh, gives you a business deal that you can't refuse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, true, true. Okay, like getting your head blown off. You, I mean, that you just can't refuse that deal. But others, we can postpone. Mm-hmm. Prostate cancer, is that going to kill me or not? Well, I've got a choice about it. Sure, sure. So, recognizing that the entire teachings of the Buddha is, is that we've got choices. Are we going to choose reality or are we going to choose magical thinking? Are we going to choose happiness and joy or are we going to choose dissatisfaction? It's our choice. And if you choose magical thinking, you're going to get hoodwinked. There's a whole lot of charlatans out there. Here's one. Do you know about the story of Houdini? Have you ever heard of him? Oh, yes, of course. Okay, do you know that it, uh, after he was very, very famous, he got on a, um, um, a gig. What he did was, uh, back then, I think that it had lasted about 100 years, but there were uh, many, many seances done in the United States. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And what he would do is he would go to these various charlatans that would hold the seance, and he'd find where their wires were yeah. and all kinds yeah. of stuff. Yeah. There were two sisters that uh, eventually he called. They were in Chicago. I forget their name. They're very famous. Mm-hmm. And that one of them, when she would stand up and walk around the room, she was barefoot. He mm-hmm. noticed. He was watching. When she came back and sat down, she slept her slippers back on. 
Of course. Yes. My upset right. that one. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because the wiring that she used to control oh, yeah. the seance was done with that foot that had a wire or the uh, the shoe that had a wire connected to it under the carpet. Mm hmm. OK. And he exposed that back in the 1930s and it just killed seances. The only seance that I know of for sure that's even in existence is the one they have in Las Vegas where all of the magicians go to invite Houdini to come visit their seance. It's a big joke. They make money off of it. It's a big, big thing. I think Penn and Teller are a part of that as well as the guy who got eaten by the lion and all of that kind of stuff. Okay. Right. So the magicians, there's two kinds of magicians. Actually, there's three. The magician that calls himself a magician, he's a stage magician. He's got magic tricks, and everybody knows he's got magic tricks. Sure. And then there are the people who do exactly the same magic tricks, only they tell, they try to convince people that it's real. Yeah. Those are charlatans. The one that I'm most familiar with is Satya Sai Baba in India. Yes. I've, he uh, was a charlatan and everybody knew it. They had lots of photos in the newspapers and yet he still had millions of people who would donate huge amounts of money because they believed that he could in fact throw out a watch or throw out um, um, holy ash. Well, as I understand it, what what tended to happen in with that sort of thing um, the, and I can't remember the names of them, but you know, people did investigate this sort of magic, and very often what they found was that um, they could. There was some occasional time that they could not find how the guy was doing it. Right. So then you know it was always ah well maybe he's got something, because they want to believe it. You see. Yes, that's the whole point. That's the magical thinking. Yeah. Rather than he's doing something that's impossible, but if he's doing it, then it's possible. Let's go find out what the possibles are, rather than saying, oh, we don't know, it must be magic. A very interesting one, actually. A lady who's got a, I think she's got a blog in, in England um, called Sue Black, Blackwood or Blackhurst or something, who whose story is that um, she... When she was um, at university, she took uh, a psychedelic of some sort and had a full-on out-of-body experience. And she saw herself and all the rest of it, and she thought, boy, this is psychical research, I've got to go into that. So she got her degree and she went into psychical research. <laughs> and now, 30 years later, she's on her blog saying, well, I've been looking for, I've been looking for the real thing. <laughs> The real thing, you know, the real magic for um, 50, however many years it is now, and I have not found it. So, you know, I've given it a good shot and there just isn't any. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't get there without some sort of, some sort of right. fraud. Well, I gave, I wasn't famous or on, in fact, when I was doing it, the internet didn't exist. But back in the 70s, I gave it a good shot. Yep, yep. I, yep. I went all over India. I looked for all of the magic and all of that kind of stuff. And you wanted it, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it wasn't until I got to Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa to find out that I was up the wrong tree. Mm -hmm. That we want to find reality, not magic. <laughs>
Now, here's the point about it is, is that why do people want to believe in magic is because they think that there's some power in it, as we talked before. Okay, like I can impress people if I could fly through the air. Or if I had a laser that came out of my finger that was powerful enough to hurt people, then I would have power over people and I could make them do what I wanted them to do. So that's what magical powers are all about. But if I am fearless, if I have no fear, then I don't need any magical powers. The people who want magical powers are wanting those magical powers for protection. And when you don't need any protection, you don't need any magical powers. But then how do you, how do you, when they are skinning you alive or roasting you on a gridiron or whatever happened to the stories of these early Christian martyrs, how do you manage to to get through that and without um, without the magical power? Well, with 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 wisdom, you're in Georgia when they're trying to skin you alive in Alabama. I don't suppose it much matters which state you're in. <laughs> yeah, it does. If the guys who were trying to skin you alive are in Alabama. Oh yeah, fair enough. I mean you. Yes. I, I and, and so the yeah the Buddha recommends to take a hike to stay out of dangerous places yeah. to don't stay in war zones. Sure, but uh, okay. So yeah. that's the wisdom for you. You don't get skinned alive. Ah uh, yes, but. Ultimately, people do, and then what are you going to do? Who's the la- name me ten people that you personally know that got skinned alive? I bet you don't know anybody who's actually gotten skinned alive. Not personally, no. Not well, you pers- use the phrase, and in fact, that, that's magical thinking: skinned alive. Uh, well, hang on. The Venetian governor of, I didn't know him personally, of course, it was in the 1500s, but the... Okay, but now you're talking about a story of something that's hundreds of years old. I'm talking about people getting skinned alive now. Well, it's uh, well, well-documented historical stuff. All right, so you read a book. That book uh, is not here now. Yes, but then you you're can't... Talking about- you can't you can't just discount everything in, ter- in, 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 in terms of being... I'm not here. trying to no. discount anything. I'm trying to only get you back into reality. The reality is, is that you're not being skinned alive. So why think about being skinned alive? Think about not getting skinned alive. That's a better thought to have. Well, sure, but... Don't I mean... get yourself into a position to where you get skinned alive. Leave those kind of skinners alone. Yeah, but that, yeah, okay, but then you got you you got terminal bowel cancer or something, and you're not being skinned alive, but you're in extreme pain, and they, for whatever reason, the the all the the, the I, okay. Pain. So the thought is, I can handle this. Let me see if I can adjust the body a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, that in fact one of the things I've got a broken rib. It was yeah. Oops. Hang on, stand by one. I think I need to shift my position. I need to shift from where I am into another room. Sorry. Ah. That's me out of there.
Yep. Okay. <sighs> okay. So. All right. <sighs> All right. I was about to tell you about a broken rib. I've got a broken rib. It was broken in 1990. Mm -hmm. It did some healing, but not completely. Mm -hmm. It shows up on the x-ray. Also, it will pop in and out of place. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it pokes pretty bad. The feelings are piercing, intense, right here on the side. Mm -hmm. What do I do? I put my arm in the air and try to stretch it to get it back into, pay, into place. Mm -hmm. With the thought, I can handle this. I've done it before. Mm -hmm. I've had this pain before, and it always goes away. I can deal with it. Mm -hmm. I never have the thoughts of, oh, poor me. I wish this would go away. And then, in fact, I can actually, uh, when, it, when it won't go away by doing that, I'll, I'll grab something that's high and hold on to it and pull down till it does go into place. An example of that is when I was driving the truck, mm -hmm. that pain would come. There is that handle that's right above me. I wouldn't even have to stop the car. I could mm -hmm. pull on that handle and pop that um, uh, rib back into place. You can okay. do that. That's what I was saying earlier about relaxing into it. Or, mm -hmm. or, you know, you, uh, yeah. But I, if I hated the pain and wanted it to go away and oh, poor me, then I'm not doing what I need to do in order to deal with the pain. Sure, sure. Okay, so that's just an example, is, is that when we have presence of mind, when we're not afraid of the pain, when we know what it is, we can deal with it. But it becomes eventually, it will become overwhelming. No, eventually, you will not think that things are overwhelming. Eventually, you'll have the thought, I can handle anything. Overwhelmed and overwhelming is an attitude. Well, you see, this is the point at which I think of Upaka the Ajivika, the man who said to the Buddha, may it be so. Actually, I think probably what he said was good luck with that one, pal. But, <laughs> um, but uh, may it be so, yeah. Okay. So that's going in the right direction. Mm. The other possibility is you're full of crap. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, the person who would say that, though, is in magical thinking. Mm. And the magical thinking is, is that the pain is too much. And the reality is no. It doesn't matter. In fact, the intensity of the pain is almost always mental. That in the body, the body is dealing with a sensation. It's only a sensation, in this case, of pointing that the rib is out of place. And it is poking into the meat or something. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's the real situation. And that I can deal with it is the attitude. It's not overwhelming. But another guy who has a similar thing will say, oh, it's too much. Oh, I need medicines. Oh, I need help with this. I can't handle this pain. I mean, Pfizer is in that business. Mm -hmm. Sure. Moderna 
That's the business that they're in, is the business of the victims who can't handle their own pain. But even as a monkey would be allowed to take such medicine as you need. Wait a minute, wait a minute, that's magical thinking. No. Why? Where would you ever get the idea that the Buddha was against medicine? I'm not saying, I'm saying that you, you but... Yeah, I'm not saying he was against medicine. I, I, I have heard what you've said about about monks being, you know, having such medicine as they need and so on. Never mind monks. I mean, there's nothing against medicine, nor do I think that the Buddha was against medicine. No, in fact, it's part of the requisites. We have to have medicines, well, just like you have to have food. So it's not just a matter. I mean, so so there, this idea of, uh, well, you can cope with any kind of pain. Um, yeah. You know, why should you if you can get Pfizer? I mean... The point that I was making about Pfizer is, is that a lot of the people who are taking the Pfizer's medicine don't need it and are getting no value out of it, but they don't have any options. Hmm. Because they're already in the magical position that they can't help themselves. They need help from a doctor. They need help from the medicines, that they rely upon the medicines. And they're still unhappy. They're still um, dissatisfied. They, the medicines don't give them the relief of the pain that they really want. Mm. Yes, but it's not so black and white. I mean, you can you can always say, well, I'll just put up with this. You can always say this isn't too bad. But the well, a- that's a whole lot better thought, isn't it? Than oh, this is too much. Oh, I can't stand this. Well, of course it is, but you don't. You, well, then, then do it that way. Let's talk about taking the prior. <laughs> Let's talk about having the positive attitude. You want to keep clinging to your negative attitude as if it's got a use or a value. And you're coming up with all of these whataboutisms for the Absolutely. past hour or so. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> of course I have. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. They asked me, you know, when they confirmed me as a Catholic, um, you know, when, I, when, when you go through the confirmation ceremony, they said, take a confirmation name. And I said, because it was my grandfather's name, I said, Thomas. Oh, they said Aquinas or Doubting. So they clearly, they clearly figured something. <laughs> no. I'm not sure I understand you what you're saying. No. Well, I, as part of the ritual of a Roman Catholic confirmation. Yeah. But I didn't hear what you said about it when you oh, gave, what was your word? What was your name? Right. I took the name of Thomas. Thomas, okay. So they said, they said to me, is that Thomas Aquinas or Thomas Doubting? Thomas the Apostle, the one who did, who wouldn't believe that they'd seen Jesus, that one. Yeah, the guy who had his head on straight. The guy yeah. who wanted some evidence. That's right. Right. Well, they clearly, <laughs> well, they, they clearly had me figured out <laughs> when they said, oh. mm. mm-hmm. yeah, "Yeah, I do." Yeah. 
So let's stay with reality. I mean, uh, there's no end to the amount of stories that the, that the Catholics will tell you. Oh, I know. I know. That, that, in fact, if you think about it like this, every horror movie that's, that Hollywood has ever produced follows the Catholic story. Of course. Of course. It's a very effective one. I mean, it's... Uh, well, that's because all of these people who go to those movies, they believe in it. Mm-hmm. They believe in that magic. Yeah, I, I remember. In fact, uh, uh, there is a movie called The Shining. Yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't seen okay, it. I, I well, I I had not just an opportunity, but I had friends that insisted that I go to see that movie. And my insistence was is that it's going to be just a movie. Mm. But when people go to those kind of movies, when the little, when the twin girls are seen in the hall, everybody becomes terrified. When all the water is coming down the hall, everybody's terrified, right? It's just movie effects. Of course, we know. Yeah, we know that, but we like to believe in it, at least in the moment. Mm-hmm. That's why we go to the horror movies. Except I don't, actually. But <laughs> Well, that's why people do. I mean, that's yeah. the whole point of it. It's a major industry. Because people have magical thinking, and almost all of it is Catholic. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's... I have never seen a Buddhist horror movie. They don't exist. That even in Thailand, they don't have horror movies that are Buddhist-oriented. What they have is horror movies that are animistic-oriented. The Rishis in the Woods, the dead body who, who rises up, the mm. Chinese ghost that bounces this way. You know, yeah. That, yeah. that's what... That's what they believe in, but in Buddhism, there are no horror stories. Uh huh. Anyway, Christianity is full of horror stories. It occurs to me we've been on for an hour. I've taken an hour and a half of your right. time. Yeah, about so. an hour and twenty minutes or so. Okay. Yeah. Well, we never got around to your first question, which was the uh, the three watches of the night. We talked about it a little bit in the sense that um, when one is a practice meditator who can see the past clearly and directly, then we can remember all kinds of things that we couldn't before. That this happens, in fact, when people have Alzheimer's, they wind up spending a great deal of time in their childhood mm-hmm. because those, those old memories are very solid. And this is what the Buddha is talking about. And those who want it to be magical are thinking that it is in the deep past. And that was a common belief system. But you see, the the problem as always, Damarato, with this is they want to believe it one way Mm -hmm. and you want to believe it the other way. What's your... I'm saying that that the, their belief is ridiculous. It's not the, what I want. It's what's possible and not possible, along with the fact, and more important, is, is that that stuff's irrelevant to this present moment. I can see that that stuff's irrelevant to the present moment. Mm-hmm. And the Buddha says to stay in the present moment, to be here now. Yeah. Yeah. And so why should we deal with things that don't exist as off in the future, deep in the past, way back when, and all of that kind of stuff, when we can have a ball right now? Because none of that stuff is here now. 
will it's, it's irrelevant but if people believe in rebirth and this happens commonly in asia and probably also in the west we haven't gotten that deep into it yet but in asia many people will say oh i can't do samadhi i can't practice but what i can do is uh, feed the monks and do donations so that I can have a better chance next time. Okay. Well, it, it's so, only holy indulgence is all the rest of the, all the rest of the paraphernalia. Yeah, we we've got that in the West. Yeah. Right. So why don't we instead recognize that life is short and there is no guarantees after that? Mm-hmm. Belief in rebirth or Christianity or anything, there's no guarantees in that. The only guarantee that we have is that right now we're alive if we take the next breath. Yeah, but then you're just putting it back. No, see, we're not pushing it anywhere. I can be happy in this breath. I can be happy in the next 10 minutes. But, okay. you know, the guillotine is still going to come down on me in the next, or whatever's going to happen after that. Yeah, can you handle that? Do you have the attitude that you can handle whatever's going to happen, guillotines and otherwise? No, at the moment I only have the attitude that I can handle what's happening in the next few minutes. All right, but if you can handle the next few minutes wisely and know that, then the next few minutes after that you can practice wisely, and eventually you'll get the idea that you can, in fact, be happy in this present moment, no matter what's happening otherwise in this present moment, including guillotines and tigers and all kinds of stuff. Can you maintain your joy? Can you keep your happiness in the face of adversity? The answer to that, generally, most people can't handle any happiness when they... Oops. You... Ah... You've frozen. No, you're on. You've frozen. I don't know what's happened. No, 